everybody, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell. That is Kurt Souter, and we've done this show now going on 70 years, and if you're just listening for the very first time, thanks for listening. If you're listening on purpose, really thank you for listening because you came back. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we decided a few years ago, we want to do a show for guys as a primary audience. Think about the view for men, and men are really good at talking about sports, weather, and politics. We can do that in our sleep. But we believe here at Solid Steps that you're not truly walking in your identity and your, uh, your ordination as being a man by God's design if you're not walking with the person of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you have thought about it, you have been for years, we just want to be a tool in your toolbox to help guys equip them and ladies. We know a lot of ladies listen as well to talk about things that matter for eternity. Today's topic is very heavy, so if you have little ears around, uh, just FYI, it's a very heavy topic, but a I don't know if a more needed topic to talk about within Christian circles, especially with guys. So we're going to talk today about um, a lot of things, and at the end of the day, we're talking about the redemption power of Jesus Christ, but you imagine the most darkest world you could imagine being in, and I'm not going to put words in our guest's mouth, but... I don't know very much dark worlds than, than the world of pornography. And when I say that word, some people got nervous because you're thinking, oh man, there's a whole lot more to the, to the word pornography than what's on the surface. It's, it's really a hard issue. We're going to hear more about that today from a man who was not just watching porn. He was making it as in the camera was on him. He was in. And if you think I'm too far in to get out of anything, Talk to a person who's been in the porn business and now is preaching the gospel of Jesus. Well, that's who our guest is today. So, uh, Joshua, it is great to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, I'm I'm glad to be here. It, it, it's going to be a lot of fun, I can already tell. Well, we're, we, we want it to be fun, but we this is a really serious and yeah. it's a heavy topic. And we, uh, we're just going to let you unpack. So, uh, you know, Joshua, just uh, why don't you begin telling your story? Share, share a little bit how... In the world, you uh, you got into the world of pornography. Yeah, so I grew up in a really small town in South Carolina, and I grew up without a father. And what was unique about my story was that my father was in close proximity to where I lived, but he was not planted in my life. And that was, um, it was tough for me to reconcile that because I was thinking, okay, um, there's this guy who is my dad, but I'm not in a relationship with him. And literally, the town was so small that I would literally see him in the grocery store. And as I got older, I become more aware of what I didn't have. And just being in the community that I was in, it, it was not a normal thing. It was not a normal thing not to have a dad. So sports growing up, you know, I'm, I'm outside playing basketball with myself. I'm playing catch, you know, throwing a, a, a baseball against my grandmother's house, you know, breaking bricks in her uh, in in her chimney, but um, that was that was that was tough for me to reconcile. And someone who has a high achiever personality, um, you know, mis misappropriated. It was pointing me in the direction of needing to prove myself, needed to earn my own validation. So I did that through sports. I did that through um, at, you know scholastics, and then eventually through getting the girl that no one else could get. And that behavior continued until I started acting and modeling, and then really it escalated. But acting and modeling became the thing that allowed me to feel good about myself. If I got the job, if or if you know someone picked me, then that made me feel good about myself. And I continued on that path, 
You when, you had some serious father wounds. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, as your fa- as father wounds, I mean, you're trying to fill that void. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was trying to do. I was I was trying to fill the gap of, um, you know, in my heart where I didn't have a father. So I thought I needed to overcompensate through that through accomplishment. And I go to college. I'm studying theater, really just trying to figure out what I'm doing. I thought if I studied theater, it would give me, uh, a, you know, an upper hand in landing some jobs. And after a while, I was really like putting myself in a pickle where there were these jobs that I was trying to get in Hollywood or New York. And I, I lived in this small town in South Carolina and, you know, and, and someone who, you know, I'm 6'2", like brown eyes, brown hair. It's like, you know, there's, there's plenty of me. And if they, if there were people who looked like me who lived in closer proximity to some of the jobs, like, are you going to fly the guy out from South Carolina or are you going to pick someone that's in your backyard? So I thought if I put myself in closer proximity to the industry I wanted to be in, that would be very advantageous for me. So I did that. I dropped out of school, moved to Hollywood, and then there I got an agent and I started working in the modeling industry. And I I was doing some acting, but I was more successful as a model. And like most people who live in Hollywood, you have to figure out a way to pay your bills in between the, the gigs. And I started working at a restaurant. And while I was working in that restaurant, Four girls walked into this this restaurant and they said, "Hey, um, have you ever considered being an actor?" And I was like, "Yes, this is an opportunity for me to, you know, get introduced into a project, or maybe they knew a casting director or something like that." But they were like, "No, we're talking about porn," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, um, it, it was just yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. But the laugh, it was uncomfortable, and I was just like, uh, I, "I've seen it before." But I never thought about being in it. And and in a very real way, it's like I'm seeing these girls. And it's like the the pictures on the the magazine that I saw, um, these people are real. Because it's easy to to believe that that's not a person on a screen or a, a, in a magazine. It's a product, you know, or it's it's a it's a it's a it's a you know a part of my imagination. But these were real people really inviting me into their space. And I was curious and I was confused. And they said, hey, um, why don't you just um, agree to meet with our agent? And I was like, agent? Like this this sounds like awfully familiar to like something that's legit, you know? And I go and I meet with this agent. And while I'm there, um, he's like, well, tell me, you know, How'd you grow up? What do you want to accomplish? And essentially, like, why are you here? And I was like, well, I just grew up with just me and my mom, and I want to be an actor, and I guess I want to be famous. And he was like, great. Um, the industry is shifting, and there's going to be all these acting opportunities, and you have, if you have acting experience, that's going to be really good for you, and, you know, you'll be famous, you'll make all this money, you know, all this stuff. And it's really ironic that he's, he literally said that your, my name would be famous. But the first thing you do when you enter into that industry is you go by a pseudonym. So you actually surrender your name. You surrender your identity. And you, you, come, you, 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 you start to adapt into this, this fictitious identity. And, you know, he, he, inv- he said ultimately, you know, you just show up and you'll you'll do this movie and I go to set and I, I know it's a bad decision, um, 
but he's offering, he offered me that opportunity, but honestly, I didn't have the belief in myself to like, not that I didn't know to say no, but I thought, well, maybe this is as close as I'm going to get to my actual dream. I knew it was a counterfeit version of the dream that I actually had, but because of the lack of belief in myself, I believed, okay, um, at 22, I've been doing my modeling and acting for almost 10 years and I haven't made it yet. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe this is the best opportunity that's going to come across the table. And even though it's a compromise, maybe this is the card I'm being dealt. Maybe this is an opportunity for me. So I, I ended up doing it. And that one decision, it just very quickly, everything in my life imploded. I did the one um, within a few weeks. It went viral. Um, my agent, my mainstream agent found out that obviously, you know, operating outside of the moral conduct that they require, they can't be associated with my likeness. I'm fired. My mom finds out. Um, she She's calling me, asking me, you know, my, un- my uncle at work heard that I did this thing. Is this true? Um, and just so much shame, so much guilt. And just knowing my mom was 16 when she had me and so many sacrifices, you know, for basketball camps, for shoes, for acting, for, you know, modeling photos, for all these sacrifices where um, she didn't have money to do those things, but she made them happen. And then now I've essentially squandered everything that she had worked for. And um, so I, I didn't know what else to do. And then in the middle of my, I don't know what to do, I get a phone call and it's that agent. And he's saying, well, do you want to sign a contract with me? I'd love to offer you a contract. And that one yes turned into a six-year career in that industry where I did over a thousand movies. One decision. And that just blew the door open. I mean, it blew the windows open. It blew everything open. Sounded like it closed a lot of doors. Yeah. And you're from your from your history and your past but opened up a whole lot, another set of doors. Yeah, very, very quickly. Every, like literally everything that I was, even the restaurant that I was working at, I was sort of dating someone at the restaurant and then I told her what I did and then that relationship obviously ended and then she was kind of the nucleus of our friend group and now I felt ashamed. So I quit my job there and I think I would be lying if I said that I didn't have any other option, but I don't think I had the fortitude to say, okay, I need to pivot and do something else. I took the easy way out, which was saying yes to the porn industry. So we're going to take a break and you're like, man, how do you get out of that hole? Well, we're going to take a break, come back and hear more about how Joshua made it out of the porn industry in totally different direction here on Solid Steps back to Solid Steps Radio and uh, our last segment we um, we were talking about we're talking with uh, an individual who was in an industry of pornography as an actor for six years and you're thinking man how do you make it in that kind of industry for six years so Joshua you know talk to our listeners about you obviously you know you know you were successful financially and yeah. all, all making all that but what's going on in your world, really? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, like to your point, for me, you know, again, that high achiever mentality, 
it was like, okay, um, once I eclipse a million dollars, I will have some sense of satisfaction. I did that. It didn't work. Once I surf on every beach I want to surf on, I would be happy. I did that. It didn't work. In my last year in the industry, I wanted to win Performer of the Year, which is the highest award that you could win in that industry. There were, you know, I got nominated for three years in a row, and finally I won it. And when I won that award that said that I was a bet that I was the best and I and it didn't bring me the satisfaction that I thought it would, that's when my life really fell apart. But it was progressive because I mean in that industry, you're dating people who are in the industry and you're out to dinner with, you know, you're you're out to dinner with a guy and a gal and, and you're you're with this person you're dating and you realistically are saying that we're in this monogamous relationship. You're saying that, yet we're prostituting ourselves to each other, um, and, and, and that's the reality of it. But you really believe that you're in this monogamous relationship because the things that you do on a set, because there's a check involved and there's a camera there that it's just work. And that and that was like, for me, growing up as a young man who had a young mother that was beautiful, it's like, man, I, I was a jealous kid. And then I was a jealous boyfriend. Then I was a jealous guy in this industry. So it was almost this masochistic behavior that I was allowing to happen to me because I had this such a low view of myself. I just allowed this stuff, this stuff to happen to me. But when I went performer of the year, I went from being depressed and struggling to um, I, I want to end my life because I'm thinking, okay, well, no one's going to want to marry me. Um, I'm not going to be there. I don't have the capacity to be a father. Um, who's ever going to take me seriously? I have this innate desire in me to be creative and impact people, but who's going to take me seriously after the life that I've lived? If I don't want to do this, what I'm doing, um, I, what else can I do? I, I, because it wasn't that, you know, my behavior was bad. I saw myself as bad and, and I felt worthless and I felt useless. So I, what else am I going to do? So I believed, okay, the only thing left to do is call out to this God that I really didn't know that I knew about and say, hey, um, I've squandered my life. Please let me die. I mean, you're talking about empty. Yeah. You were empty. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you win this a great ward and you're famous, but you're empty. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like time after time after time on social media, it's like, you know, these people who on the outside look, you know, so happy because they have all these things and they have the job that you want and they have the life that you want, the money that you believe that's going to make you happy. And that was me. And when I, when I obtained those things and they didn't bring me the satisfaction that I thought they would, it broke me. So what happened? So I, I'm, I'm decided that I'm going to take my life and uh, for some reason, like this, this personality that I have is like, okay, I have this check. I've got to go put this check in the bank. And then once I do that, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take this bottle of pills. And um, I walk into this bank and I slide the check across the counter because the ACM was broken and the, the drop box wasn't available. And it, the reason I did that, because on the memo of the check, it said what the, the title of the movie and the title of the movie was always something grotesque. So I was embarrassed to say, hey, this is the compensation that I received for doing this thing because it was, you know, affirmation of my of my guilt, you know, and um, I have to do this this time. But I didn't care. Like, you know, this was going to be the last time anyway. And I slide this, the check across the counter and she deposits it, hands me a receipt and I go to walk away and she looks at me and she says, Joshua, are you OK? Joshua, is there anything I can do for you? 
And what she didn't know is that I had stopped talking to my mom. I had stopped talking to my fraternity brothers. I would stopped talking to my brother. I stopped talking to everyone that was in my life because they were holding me accountable. They were saying, I love you. You're better than this. And when someone holds you accountable, there's two things that can happen. You can either listen to them and change or you can push them away and run. So I pushed them away and ran. So I had not heard my name because in that industry, you go by a pseudonym. So the only people I had in my life were calling me by my stage name. And I hadn't heard my real name in almost 18 months. And said, she said, Joshua, can I help you? And it just gave me chills. And I ran and I went home and I, and I wept and I called my mom. And my mom said the same thing she, she had been saying since the day she found out I did that. I love you. You're better than that. Come home. So I did. Um, I picked up the phone, quit, you know, called everyone I need to call, and I quit. And um, I wish I could say <laughs> that um, I went home and, you know, so- something incredible happened, but I had removed myself from that industry. But the reality was the, the emotional and mental trauma, it was still there. And I tried to put, you know, just sweep everything under the rug. So ironically, I had a Celtic cross tattooed on my, on my shoulder. Um, I had a Celtic cross tattooed on my shoulder. I got that covered up. Um, I deleted my social media. I buzzed my head and I thought that'll be good enough. Um, no one will ever know the wiser, but the reality is, um, Google is, is a, you know, you know, it, I'm one search away, but also, um, in a very real way, I was probably the most well-known like person in that industry at the time, especially because of like, you know, the way the HBO after dark and like, you know, Cinemax, like after dark type of type of movies, I was doing it all those movies and, um, I, I couldn't run, I couldn't run from it, but even though I couldn't run, I tried to, and I spent two years covering up not only my tattoos and, and trying to cover my trail, but I would just lie to people until I was found out. I would lie to people about why I was in California, what I've been doing with my life. I was so embarrassed about my father's situation that I would lie. I would say he was dead because it was less painful for me to say that than to say that he just wasn't in my life. And I did that for quite some time. Um, but all the while, it's it, again, it's like whatever I'm doing in my life, I'm going to give my all to. So I was working at a gym, and I worked my way up to management and doing well in that capacity. But at night, laying my head on the pillow, I'm still having these night terrors. I'm still, you know, I'm, I keep having this dream over and over again where I'm in, you know, today. But it was like, oh, you're that guy. You're that guy. You're that guy. And then after two years, I meet this. I meet this girl and I ask her out on a date. I walk across the gym. She's working at the she's working out at the gym that I'm working at. I ask her out on a date. She says no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well. And then she comes to me later and she's like, well, we can go for a run. And I meet. I go to meet her at this park to go for a run. And um, I'm just sitting there waiting on her to get there. And I almost like hear my mom's voice in my head. It's like, don't you lie to that girl. And for me, um, and then you know, for everyone listening, sometimes a lie doesn't look like saying something misleading. Sometimes it looks like withholding the truth. And for me, I'm like, I, I just have to just get this off my chest because I was, I was honestly tired of looking over my shoulder after every time I met someone, I'm just waiting for you know the inevitable to happen. So she gets there, and I say, hey, um, before we run, I just want to tell you this thing. Um, I've, I've done a little bit of porn and she was like, 
excuse me. And then I was like, gosh, come on, Joshua. Just, just tell her the whole truth. Tell her the whole truth. And I told her everything. And she just looks at me like pretty flabbergasted and says, well, um, I didn't expect for you to say that. Um, I didn't expect to hear that you were in the porn industry for six years and you did over a thousand films. I, I, I didn't expect to hear that. Um, but I just want to tell you something. You're not defined by the worst thing you've ever done. And you're not defined by the greatest thing you'll ever do. I believe that God defines who you are. And then she says, do you know who God is? And I had lived my whole life um, with this first date mask on. I don't know who I am. I'm just going to be whoever you want me to be so that you'll like me. And I said, sure. You know, I, I believe that God is real. Because I did. I, I believe that God was real and he created everything. And I thought that was what was you know, required to be a Christian. So I was like, sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to take a break. Mm. And we're going to hear the rest of the conversation because I want to know how the run went. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back shortly here on Solid Steps Radio. So in our last segment, Joshua went from Los Angeles back home, and now he's going out for a run. I cannot wait to hear how this ran. This run went. So you, you I mean, you, you, this girl, you shared the whole full blown hundred percent story of I've, I'm not just a porn. I am. I'm making this. Yeah. And and she still ran with you. Yeah. So that. Uh, well, it never it never made its way to a run. It stayed a walk because we continued talking. But yeah, I mean, she looked at me and said, uh, "Yes, I heard what you said, but you know that doesn't dictate who you are." And she asked me if, essentially if I was a Christian, and I, I believed that I was based on what I had said. You know, I believed that God was real. And then she leaned in a little deeper, and she said, "Well, what you know, what's your relationship with Jesus like? And what's your prayer life like? Like, are you like plugged in community anywhere?" And I was like, "Okay, she's speaking another language. I don't know what you're talking about." So I had to like, you know, surrender to the fact, like, okay, wh- whatever you're talking about, I don't have that. And then she was like, "Well, um, I gave my life to Jesus when I was in seventh grade. My mom, dad, brother, and sister are all Christian. I'm not perfect by any means whatsoever, but Jesus is the foundation in which I live my life and I make my decisions. Um, so, do you like tacos or what's going on? Like, what do you like to eat?" I was like, "Wait, what? Hold on, wait a second, <laughs> hold on, wait. I just told you the truth, and you don't want me to leave, and I've been lying to people my whole life and being rejected. That how do I reconcile that? And it's like we like you see a picture of like." Colossians like four six where it's like her speech was seasoned with salt, you know, and she knew what she ought to say and how to respond, but it was because of her relationship with Jesus, and um, it, it it was it it captivated this curiosity in me, and then we just talked, we just walked and talked about hopes, dreams, aspirations, and honestly, I didn't have a lot of those because I didn't really see my life going any further than today. And we, you know, we left and text like high school maniacs for a week. And then she invited me to church that weekend. And I go and I hear this message about Mephibosheth in First Samuel. I'm talking about how, <laughs> but, I, but I hear like, I hear Mephibosheth. It's like, well, um, Jonathan died and David took over. And historically, the previous kingdom was completely wiped out because they didn't want them to think they had access to the, the new kingdom Mephibosheth knew history. He thought he was going to die. David's guard goes out, and he doesn't kill him. He restores his land and brings him to this kingdom. 
then the pastor pivoted and said, well, um, Romans 3.23 says that, you know, we've, that uh, you know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So if we're all guilty and we're all impending death, and we need a bridge to get to God because he's holy and perfect, and we can't build it because we're imperfect, what are we to do? Well, Jesus laid down his life and becomes a bridge. So your purpose is found through surrender. It's not found through pursuit. And it just made sense to me. So the Holy Spirit did a work in my life, in my heart, and I gave my life to Jesus that that Sunday. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, what what I love about that story is is and that's magnificent in itself. But that person, um, her name is Hope, that uh, invited me to that church service that we went on that walk with. We've been married for six years, and we um, we have three boys. And you would never guess we have a, a nonprofit, and it's called Finding. Hope. Uh, so, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Joshua, you um, I, I, you you told us that before that we even started the show that there are over 2,500, 3,000 people that contact you every month. Yeah. About what? Yeah, they're, they're, you know, these guys are saying, guys and girls saying, hey, um, I love Jesus, but I'm struggling with pornography. Help me. Um, and I think that you know, in, in a very real way, um, there, there's there's a lot of information ab- about pornography out there, but there's not a lot of good discipleship going on of how to walk in spiritual formation so that you actually can live a life of freedom because it's not something you can passively receive. I think in Western culture, it's like if you look at the diet industry, it's a billion-dollar industry because it's built on failure. Take the pill and you'll be healthy. Do this plan and you'll be healthy but you might see some you, you might see some results over a period of time. But if you don't change the way that you think, you're never going to long term change the way that you live because you always come back to what you know. And in a very way, that's pornography. I can stop doing it, but if there's not a deep seated understanding of why I say yes to it in the beginning, and understanding that I'm actually medicating an emotion that's different than pornography, and I'm trying to cover something up and, and replace or heal something that's broken. I'm going to continue going back to it. I'm not going to understand why. Um, I heard uh, years ago, um, sexual sin is not about sex. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. 100%. I would say that the the indis- the, the biggest problem in, in this world is we have an identity crisis because we don't know who we are. And we're longing for an intimacy with someone, and we're trying to replace that with, sex, relationships, um, different idols, but the thing that we're longing for is Jesus. And if we try to replace Jesus with anything, it's, be- it's going to become a crutch and it's because it's, it's going to break. It's not going to work. It's not going to hold up. So talk to, talk to our listeners about, okay, I, I, I'm, I, I've, been, I've given my life to Christ. Right. I, I'm, I, I go to church, yeah. and, um, but man, I'm really struggling. I'm really, I'm, you know... What, what do I, where do I go? What, how do I handle this? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, I gave my life to Jesus eight years ago and what's happened along the way is that the, the third day on the third day after I gave my life to Jesus, I went into this church and I said, Hey, I want to talk to someone. I want to kind of process my story with someone. And I met this guy named Andrew and he was supposed to teach me how to read the Bible. And we were going to talk about just basic, like, you know, th- this is how you read the Bible. You know, o- like observation, interpretation, application. Like, this is how you read the Bible. And we we're supposed to meet for 30 minutes. But that 30 minutes turned into three hours. Now, three hours turned into me spending 15 to 20 hours a week with this guy for four years. 
and we didn't have a discipleship program that was like uh, an internship there, but they made one because I wouldn't go away. And, um, and, and that's the thing that changed my life. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, a, a, you know, Eugene Peterson, long, long obedience in the same direction is what changed my life. And I think so often we look for a quick fix and there is no quick fix because sin doesn't go away. It's like, you look at, you know, sexual morality has always existed. You look at David, David, you know, saw something he shouldn't have seen. He did something he shouldn't have did. And instead of clearing his browser history, he killed Uriah. And, and that's, and that's the, the cycle that we're on. And I think that until we get better at talking about things, we're never going to see anything change. And at the end of the day, like you were saying, to answer your question, you're only as free as you're honest. And until you find someone you can be honest with, you can, I call them hot conversations, honest, open, and transparent. You need someone in your life that you can be honest, open, and transparent with and you can need, so that you can get both encouragement and a kick in the butt when you need it because everybody needs someone like that in their life. Um, you can't overcome an addiction by yourself. Yeah. Unpack that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we are wired to do life with people. It's where it's like, yes, you know, uh, life transformation and heart restoration happens through repentance, but healing happens in community. You know, it, it, it's through confession we find healing. And wait, or you, what are you going to say? Well, James 5, 16 yeah, says, yeah. confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. healed and, if, yeah. and so if you if you only go 80% or 90% and you don't share that last that last little bit, you can't get be healed from that. Yeah. And you got to, you, you have to have, uh, at least one person that you are. And that's what happened to you. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's where I had someone that took the time to create enough relational equity with me that I trusted enough to be completely honest. And it was this, you know, levels of consecration as he grew me. And it was like, I, I, I received from him an, as much healing as I was willing to put on the table. That's powerful. So as we take a break and go into our final segment, and you're probably like, man, there's a lot to talk about. And there is. And what we're going to talk about in the fourth segment is what's Joshua doing now. But we also want to spend a little bit more time on how do we, how does a man, because a lot of people want to do external things, change the what you do this, your habits. But we really got to do a heart transformation first along with this. So we're going to take a break, hear more about that. And what are you doing now in the industry? Now that is not only in, not in the industry, he's trying to combat an industry that is so destructive. So we're going to hear more about that. Yeah, solid stuff. So as we come back from break in our final segment, we're talking uh, to Joshua today about his journey from porn superstar to pastor. And if you think you're having problems getting out of a dark place, you need to check out our other three segments to hear how he came out of there. Uh, you can go to Facebook, SoundCloud, or iTunes and check out those shows in their entirety thanks to our sponsors. So, Josh, I want you to talk to guys who are dabbling a little bit into pornography or to those who are steeped in it Yeah, and I mean, how to move towards freedom. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are called to live a, live a life that's accordance into Jesus going to the cross and dying on your behalf. 
And if you understand that, it's like, okay, um, I'm called into repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance is a logistical terminology where I'm going to take a 180-degree turn away from the thing that's causing me detriment and move in an opposite direction. So I'm going to turn my back to the thing that I'm that I'm partaking in and move away from it. If you look at what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, he didn't man up, he ran. So what we're called to do is remove ourselves from a situation. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you need to do a few things. You need to take inventory of your life. What am I allowing into my mind, my eyes, into my heart that I can remove so it's not going to lead me into a direction I don't want to go? What boundaries have I put in my life? What am I, what am I implementing into my life to, to, to function as a safeguard so that I'll have to see that safeguard and ask myself, okay, why is this thing here? Because I don't want to do this thing because it's causing me detriment. So I get to another opportunity to say no. And then also, do I have accountability in my life? So radical accountability, not someone who's saying, oh, I messed up again. No, hey, um, why are you saying yes to this thing that you said that was causing detriment to your life? You said that this was ruining your marriage. You said that this was causing you to lack integrity. You said that this was impacting your life in a way that's taking you away from the life that you are called to live, that Jesus died for you to live. So if Jesus says it in John 19.30, that it is finished and you're free, act like it. So th- that's what we need to hear. We need to hear, yes, encouragement. Mm-hmm. And yes, like Romans 2, 4 says, you know, that it, it's patience and kindness that leads us into repentance. But we need to understand what's the cost. And if we understand the cost, we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. So radical accountability is, hey, man, why did you do that? It's not, oh, well, you know, let's pray about it. It's lit, hey, I love you enough to challenge you, and let's get to the root of why did you say yes to this thing that you're saying that you know you don't want to do it. So why did you do it? So I think that's the answer for both people. Why are you saying yes to that? Let's get to the root of the problem because it's not porn. Porn is the medicine in which you're medicating the real problem. So what is the real issue? So is it a, is it a father wound? Is it a, um, a mother wound? Yeah. Is, is it a, some kind of significant wound um, that, that you, you might need some counseling? You might need some therapy? Yeah, because, that, I mean, that's my story. My story is that I had a father wound, but, but I uncovered a whole lot of other, other things. And along the way, I became healed, and it was through a process, a sanctification process that never ends. I have to continually choose freedom, choose purity, choose godliness each and every day. And and I would just say, man, uh, that wound, until it's properly treated, it will continue to fester. So for me, um, I don't have a wound anymore. I have a scar. And that scar doesn't point to me. It points to Jesus. Mm. And that and that is why I love telling my story because I was wounded and I was walking with a limp for a long time even when I left that thing that was causing me detriment but I could not be healed on my own accord. So I needed Jesus to change my life, to bring me from from death to life, to give me a new identity, a new heart, but also I needed a community to surround me to propel me in a different direction. Josh, talk to our, our listeners about the neurological pathways in the brain and uh, the the, the research behind that. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you look at the, if you look at the brain, the neuroplasticity of a brain, it's, it's changing as you go over time. And if you, um, if you consume something that gives you a hit of dopamine, whether it's you know, playing a video game, whether it's watching pornography, or if it's hard drugs, if you look at the brain, there's these tracks that go to the synapse of the brain and how you're stimulated. 
And if you do the same thing over and over again, you're going to need more of the thing that you were doing before. You're going to need something more. You know, if you drink coffee every day, one cup is not going to cut it after time. So all of a sudden, what we see in pornography in a very real way, it's going to change the way that you you act because you're going to need a, a, a deeper, darker hit. And that's how you see someone who's dabbling in pornography and all of a sudden you end up, you know, you know, in prostitution or sex trafficking or, or someone, you know, uh, doing something they never intended they would do and something they would never believe they would do because they started seeing something and it started changing the way that they think because it changes your heart, your brain and the way that you appropriate yourself in the world because it changes how you see people. So uh, if a guy is listening to this right now yeah. and he's been, he's been doing pornography for 15 years, yeah. what would be the first thing that you would have him do? Um, man, I would have him, uh, so someone who is in the pornography industry. No, well, or someone, no he's, 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 he's looking at it. He's, he's, he's engaged visually. Yeah. I would say, uh, I would ask him a question. I was like, do you believe that all people have human dignity? And if, if you would say yes, I'm like, well, that's not a, a product on the screen. That's a person. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's son. That's a person. And people are, are not products to be used. And, and, that's, and that's really important because if you see that, it has a, a very real carryover in your life. It changes. I mean, I think like it, for men, that's why there's so many men that have a problem having deep relationships with other men. Because we, we see relationships as transactional because I'm geared to see something and get something. It's all about consumption, and that changes the way that I live. So first thing, I mean, recognize that. Find someone, a pastor. Yeah, tell someone. Actually, yeah, I, I, I retort what I just said. Um, find, like, even find someone and then tell them about it because the reality is you can feel like you're so alone, but you're not. Because the pornography industry, it's watched more than Twitter, Netflix, and Amazon. As much as those three sites are visited per day, that's how, all. add them all up together, that's how much it's being watched. How much money is it making? NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, all their revenue combined, that's how much the pornography industry is making per, per year. So it's an astronomical problem. It's everywhere. So go tell someone because the probability of someone else also struggling with that or have struggled with that is astronomically high. Yes. In the church. Yes. In the church as well. In the church. Josh, um, our time is out. Yeah, we are. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Um, thanks for sharing your story, and thanks for what you're doing for the kingdom. And keep proclaiming the truth. And uh, would you pray us out? Pray absolutely. for us, guys, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just want to go straight to the Word of God first. In in, uh, in Titus chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen, it says, "For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled." upright and godly lives in this present age. So God has gifted us with the the ability to have self-control. So God, we thank you for the ability to say no to my desires and say yes to you. God, we just pray for someone in this moment that has been struggling with pornography or just sexual immorality for so long. God, we pray that they surrender themselves to you because the purpose in life is found in you. The satisfaction that we are desiring, it's in you. It's not in a screen. It's not in a, a stimulus. It's not in 
um, anything outside of you, God. So I just pray that we are renewed and restored, and God, purify us. Search our hearts. Bring to the forefront of our minds anything that we're struggling with, God, and cleanse us of those things so that we can, we can experience the satisfaction that's found alone in you. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. Amen. Thank you mu- so much, Joshua. Really, really Joshua, where's the best place people can find you on the social media? Uh, I am Joshua Broom on across all social media. If it doesn't have a blue check mark, it's not me. There's okay. lots of fake ones. <laughs> okay. And uh, my website is joshuabroom.me. We'll have a link to that on our Facebook page. So you heard a lot today. And if you are a man and you're thinking, I can't get out of that, think about this. Your brain gets rewired when looking at pornography. But the one who created your brain can take care of that. And he took care of this man's life. And if he can take care of this man's life, he can take care of yours. So thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Please stay uh, tuned and follow this uh, on Facebook. And we'll be able to uh, keep you posted on everything we're doing here on Solid Central. Welcome back to actual bonus segment. You're not going to hear this on the radio. Um, we, there's too much good stuff to talk to Joshua about, and we didn't get a chance to fit it all in four segments. So if you're hearing this, this is not going to be part of what was on the radio. And we're also going to talk about some stuff that's a little bit more not radio friendly. And uh, I'm going to punt that over to Kurt and let him talk about it. Okay. So, so Joshua, um, I mean, we, we were just talking about uh, the, the power of masturbation and what, what keeps guys addicted yeah to pornography and to sexual sin yeah so go ahead and talk about that yeah i mean i think the the issue with just pornography in general is this normalcy of sexual sin and i've I've argued until i'm blue in the face with with leaders in the church saying that um, masturbation is a necessary evil and i was like well what what evil is necessary and um, I, I always bring them to um, this little verse in Galatians 5, 9. It says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And it's like one compromise will always lead to a greater compromise. There's never, ever been a small compromise when it comes to morality that leads to purity. It doesn't work that way. So this lie believing that, well, if I masturbate, um, I won't look at porn. It's not true. It's, it's because you are, you're embedding these lies into yourself because, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you could talk about it. what I would say this, um, if, if you put it is this simple, is masturbation selfish? Yes or no. Is love selfless? Yes or no. So how do you reconcile that? Are you serving yourself or are you doing something that remotely looks like love? And if it's not love, it's lust and lust is sin in the story. Amen. Talk to our listeners about the illustration and the and uh, of the but uh, not just not just an illustration, but it's actually like a research uh, the butterfly. Yeah, so there there's this research. Um, so this this gentleman won a Nobel Prize in 1972 around this research called supernormal um, stimulus, and um, he created a fictitious version of a female butterfly. Um, put this butterfly into nature, and the male butterflies tried to mate with the artificial butterfly, and then completely ignored the female, started fighting among themselves, and then ultimately started to cease to exist. 
And what we're seeing is this pursuit of this artificial stimulus as pornography is a pursuit of an artificial intimacy. And this intimacy that's being pursued is not real because I can't reach this thing. I'm going to feel insatiable for this desire that I have. And the desire that I have is real on a neurological standpoint, but it's not real in the fact that I can actually obtain it because pornography in itself is fictitious. You look at a fight scene. Um, one of my favorite fight scenes is um, in this movie Inception where they're in this elevator and this crazy fight scene. You don't look at that fight scene and believe that, well, this was just you know a random occurrence. Like, no, there was choreography there. There was editing. There was CGI. And in very similar is pornography. There's two people who don't want to be there. They're being paid to be there. There's editing. There's a director. There's cuts. There's the guy using erectile dysfunction medication. The girl's using lubricant. Like, none of this is real. So you're trying to recreate a fantasy that doesn't exist, and you're creating your, ideolo- your ideology of what intimacy is around it. So you're trying to obtain this thing that you can never obtain, and it's driving people crazy. So why would you ever think that you can satisfy yourself and end up being satisfied? You can't. That's the, I mean, that's the beauty of Jesus. Yeah. Die to yourself, take up your cross every day, yeah. and follow me. Yeah. I mean, that's the... And it's so simple, yeah. yet it's so powerful and so profound. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I, I, just love, uh, I just love Titus 2. It's talking about um, that we get to say we, it, the Word of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and we are called to live a self-controlled life. You know, fruit of the Spirit, self-control. So we get the opportunity and the gift to say no to the things that God has called us to say no to. And it's like, you know, Romans 12, 2 is, is a big part of my life. I talk about that all the time, but, you know, you, want to be, you don't want to be conformed by the world. You want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this, this metamorphosis that needs to take place. So that's the what and the how is 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, where it's like I need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, but I can only do that if I trust that the Word of God is best. And if I think I know best, I'm going to reject the Word of God and serve myself because I think if I masturbate, I won't look at porn. And reality is I'm serving myself, and sin will always continue to lead to more sin. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned in, in, in the actual radio show the neurological thing, and we have these pathways when we're addicted, whether it's heroin or cocaine or pornography. Yeah, I mean— But what, what we're really after is, is creating neurological pathways to the living God. 100%. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, the, the brain's a beautiful thing. God designed it. And in a very real way, um, you remember how to ride a bike because there's repetition over time. And, and, and then the neuroplasticity of your brain is developed and it learns these things. And if my attachment to intimacy is a phone in my hand, then I will, I will create a relationship with this thing. And like, if we could change the way that we think, we can change the way that we live. And, like, and that's what the Word of God presents us with. It presents us with an opportunity to see reality through the lens of Scripture. Like 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's good for teaching, rebuking, reproof, and that's what I had to do. I had to dismantle and destroy the incorrect ideologies that I had. I saw myself wrongly. I saw the world wrongly. I saw women wrongly. I saw sex wrongly. 
So I had to dismantle and destroy those things and build a new foundation based on truth. Amen. Oh, that's... Um, so, you know, we, we talked to, during the radio show, you know, I said, what, um, you know, what, what, what a guy comes to you, I've been struggling with pornography for the last 15 years, you know, what do I do? And we didn't get to it, but you mentioned dabbling. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there's, there's no benefit to dabbling in pornography. It's like if you had someone who was an alcoholic, you wouldn't have say, Hey, just have one whiskey um, a day and, 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 and maybe you'll get better. Or if someone was a heroin addict, it's like, you know, just, you know, shoot up once a week instead of every day. Um, healing's not found in that way. So we need to remove this thing from our lives so that we can find healing and find freedom. And in a very real like correlation where like if, if you take a heroin addict and you completely remove them from it, they're going to go through withdrawal and you're going to have, you know, this, this desire to do something that you've always done. But what you'll find on the other side of freedom is real freedom. It's not me removing myself from this thing so that I feel better. It's removing this thing from my life. So I am better. Paul says, so I say live by the spirit then you will not satisfy the, the, the longings or the cravings of, 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 the, of the lustful flesh. Yeah. If you're going to try to do outward stuff only, you're, ne- you're just going to be in a cycle and you're, you're just going to be beating your head against the wall. Well, Change uh, your outside. Don't look at this. Don't do this outwardly, but you got to do a heart issue. It, it's just a heart issue. And anytime I've done something knucklehead or stupid, I can always look back and go, I was tired. I was scared. I was lonely. I was frustrated, whatever it is, there's almost always an internal issue that you can look back. And I can't blame that, but if you have to be self-aware, you got to have some level of self-awareness about you to know what's going to be on your path to say or do something really stupid, right? And so I would think with pornography, if somebody says, man, I got a porn problem, I'm like, you got a heart problem. Yeah. We all do, but let's, let's talk about that. You know, why would you once a week or once a month do that and you're like, if you can, it wasn't, was it really because of that girl on the screen? It, it doesn't really matter. You know, put something else in front of you to kind of numb that pain. It's probably a pain issue. Yeah, I, I, I was just double checking that I was going to um, say the right author, but um, Gordon McDonald wrote this book, um, Ordering Your Inner World. Ordering Your Private World. Yeah, Ordering Your Private World. And um, it, it's something that I read at Liberty, and it just really impacted me because um, I think there's so many aspects of our inner life and if like we, 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 especially Western culture is like, we believe that we can fix ourselves from the outside in, in reality, it's impossible to truly do that. So we need to fix ourselves from the inside out. And when you take inventory of your life, like you were saying, you take inventory of your life. It's like, okay, um, I'm doing these things that are not best for me. And just because I want to do something doesn't mean I should do something like just because I could doesn't mean that I should. And there's this level of freedom that Jesus gives us access to that we're called to steward well. And if you don't steward your freedom well, you can misuse it. Yeah. At the same time, there is wisdom in putting boundaries up. Oh, 100%. If your right hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I have a story about that. Oh, so uh, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll only share this because he has shared it on my podcast, and he talks about it um, 
all the time. But there was this kicker, um, and he was a kicker in the Big Ten, um, very successful kicker, um, collegiate football. And um, he was struggling with pornography. And uh, literally, he ended up getting, uh, uh, found it really early on, but had a prostate cancer and ended up having to, you know, have, have surgery. And it, he was, you know, praying, he was struggling with porn and just like struggling and struggling and struggling. And he read that verse and he was like, you know, if, you, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And it was just like this almost like to, to him, to hear him explain it, like somewhat comical, but it was in, in this in this moment, like that's how God spoke to him. And he never watched porn again. Mm. But he was like, man, it's, it's like to what extent are we willing to go to remove the thing that we don't want to do from our life? Right. And it's like, a boundary is not, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to slide my phone uh, away from me. A boundary for me looked like, okay, um, a, a phone or a, a laptop does not come in my bedroom. Um, for me, I literally didn't want to touch myself. So it's like I have to use a loofah. It's like I'm not going to touch myself. Like when I use the bathroom, I'm, I'm, I refuse to touch myself. So I had to like do something radical to pursue freedom because I did something really radical. We, we sinned really hard. So we have to pursue freedom in the same way. It's like, I mean, that's just what you have to do. Like you, you have to pursue freedom. You have to want it because we don't passively receive anything that's worth anything. All right. Our, our longings and desires, we need to come to uh, face to face with that. Yeah. So yeah. Talk about a little bit about, What's going on now from a legislative standpoint? Now, granted, there's a lot of hard issues here, too. We can't yeah. ignore the, the culture as well. Talk about sure. what you do, what's going on with that. Yeah, so um, speaking of boundaries, I had the opportunity to speak at Capitol Hill a few months ago, um, sat down with 35 different state representatives talking about the, the dangers of pornography and in so many capacities, how, it, how it's impacting people, how it's impacting people in the industry, how it's impacting people who are consuming it. And Senator Lee in Utah had signed on this bill. It's called the PROTECT Act. And it's going to be, um, so it's, it's made its way to the floor. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a bill yet, but it's made its way to the floor. And it's this um, piece of legislation that if passed, it's going to be legitimate age verification. So right now you can go to any porn website and just plug in a uh, fake birthday. But this would require someone to pr- produce a driver's license or passport. Like you would have to have legal documentation to verify your age through encrypted data. And in addition to that, there's this level of consent because right now you go into porn sites and the reason that um, there was a, there was a popular porn site that got taken down off of Instagram is because there's 600 cases against them because there's child pornography on these websites. There's rape on these websites because when you look at something, you don't know the level of consent. You don't like you're seeing these images of these people. You don't know why they're there. You don't know if they agreed to be there. And you don't know if there's someone standing in the corner making them be there. You don't know the answers to that. So um, there's going to be uh, like more verification around consent. The, the big product is the, the age verification. That's the, you know, that's the, the, the leading um, piece of it. And then the last piece of it is consent having a timetable, which I get excited about where you would be able to with, you know, withdraw your consent after a certain period of time because there's things that are still on the Internet of me making money that, um, that I would be able to with, withdraw my consent from, and they would have 48 hours to take it down. So um, just being part of that and seeing that get some legs is pretty exciting. Oh, that's, yeah. What have you seen in the 
connection between pornography and the sex trade industry? I mean, we know that it's real, but talk about it from your for what you've seen. Oh well, I mean, um, it, there's not some correlation. It's it's directly. It's direct correlation because what happens is, uh, like that's how girls, for the most part, get in the industry. They're they're trafficked into the industry, and you know, and and you also like you see these girls that if I believe. And I, this happened to me. If I believe that I am my behavior, my behavior becomes my identity. So if I'm, if I'm a walking compromise, it's so much easier for me to be compromised. So you see these girls that are going the in this industry. There's an agent that they have that's really functioning like a pimp, and they they do these films. And it's like, well, if you do these films, then what's the difference of you know you meeting these guys over here? There's there's no camera, but you're still you're still getting paid. And then it, it just turns into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But what's happening on a, in a very real way is people are watching pornography and they're developing the, their, you know, these desires and this understanding of what sex is and, these, and the way that you see people through the lens of pornography. Where I was watching a documentary on Netflix and there was, uh, these, it, was a, it was a prison somewhere in Africa. And um, 84% of the people who were in this prison, they um, had been convicted of rape. And they asked, you know, like, they asked a lot of them, why? Like, what, what, what's, the, what's the, you know, the common denominator? Like, well, um, I think that men are of a greater value than women. And men, um, part of what we, we need, because a basic need is sex. So we, we, we are deserving of sex. They're a lesser value. So it, it's... You know, it's not a big deal if we take it. And then in a very real way, that's what pornography does. Pornography paints this picture that sex is something that you owe. And as long as there's a camera and there's a check involved, everything is kosher. And it's terrifying. Yeah, it's it's completely out of control. Yeah, I mean, it, on like on an astronomical level, I mean, we're, 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 we've already gone here, so I'll, I'll keep going. But, I mean, on an astronomical level, um, a friend of mine, her name's um, Heidi Olson, and she works, you know, with cr- critical care nurse with young children, and she's seeing, like, thousands of kids uh, across the year um, being brutally raped by their, by their siblings. And it's because they're... 12 13 year olds are being are getting addicted to pornography and they're doing these things they're seeing to their siblings like this isn't like a a, a one-off occurrence this is happening thousands of times a day in our backyard like this is happening here in the united states this isn't a, a foreign country where this is this is like so far beyond there's sex trafficking going on wherever you live it's happening there these things are happening in your town in your state and we're just pretending like it's not happening, and it is. Wow! And it's all tied to pornography. Wow. That's why the Bible says, "Hate what is evil." Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Jeff. No, I was just going to say, and, and we, as we close up here, um, the uh, do you? This is a personal question that I don't think only you can answer. Do you find people who were in the industry? Are they supportive of you, or are they combative to the point of hostile towards you? Yeah, um, man, I wish you would have asked me this question um, for the radio portion because the reality is the, the people that I have relationship, the people that I had relationships with in the industry, that people who were my friends, 
Um, 30 of them have taken their life over the last 10 years. Um, so because they believe the lie that this is who I am, this is what I'll always be, I'll never have a life that's worth living. So I either take my life or I medicate the pain that I have to the point where it kills me. You know, 30 people in 30. the industry in the past decade have killed themselves. Yeah. And that's just people that you I know. That's yeah. just people that I know personally. Men it's, and women? It, men and women. Yeah. Um, far more women than men. But literally one roommate that I had the entire time I lived in California is alive. Wow. Um, so, but to answer your question, um, it, it's really neat to think about. Um, I'm working on this project called Unmentionable. And it's a, it's a podcast that's... Um, it has the same feel and depth as the rise and fall of Mars Hill. It's, it's a, like a deep dive into my story. It's eight part, um, like a journalistic podcast. And it's called Unmentional because um, we believe that there's this thing that you carry, this trauma that you carry, whether it's something that you did or something that was done to you. And that thing that's unmentionable that you don't want to talk about, it has power over your life and it keeps you from the capacity that that God made you to have and it's like if you can access that part of you that is only found through healing it comes through mentioning the thing that seems unmentionable to you mm. and um, I, I say that to say um, there's people who are in the industry that respect me because I was I was a good friend to them and a, a lot of the guys specifically you know I was the guy and, you know, I was, at the, I was at the top of the top when I was in the industry. So there's a lot of young guys who looked up to me and that, you know, asked me questions. And the reason that I was successful in that industry, because I was just good with people. It's like I remember people's names. I showed up at time, like simplistic things that people did not do, which was I was an anomaly because I was, you know, treating people that way. And, um, and those things allowed them to have a lot of success. So they respect me. But at the same time, we have to reconcile. I'm, I'm saying what you're doing is not only detrimental to you, it's astronomically detrimental to society as a whole. Um, and so it's this weird tension. But um, it, it, I think it, I love the fact that I have that relational equity. You know, like John Maxwell says, no one cares what you know until they know that, that you care. Yep. So they know that I care about them. Um, but, you know, it's, in some cases, it's like, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. But at other times, they'll ask me questions because there's this young man that I'm actually, you know, still talking to. And it's like, he had stopped drinking. And then he started getting curious about spiritual things. And then he's still in the industry. So he's kind of just trying to figure out, like, what is his next step? And I think in a very real way, people in that industry, it's like if you're going to go from making two, $300,000 a year and you've only done that, right? So you probably get in the industry pretty early on in your life. And then if you were to leave, well, I don't have any like skills that are transferable into some other capacity. So it's like to ask someone to leave that industry to work at McDonald's, it's like that's that's a tough ask. So I think we there needs to be like I got, I had the opportunity to speaking at an event earlier this morning at the Institute of Shelter Care, and it's like there's there's these organizations, these shelters that care enough to create stability and restoration because I need to be stable before I can walk. You know, I have a four, two, and a one year old. It's like, it's like once they you want them to wa start walking, but when they start walking, they're like, you know, uh, like little little drunken maniacs, you know, and they hurting themselves and stuff. It's like, gosh, you need to get stable before you can run. 
And um, I, I think that that's what we need to do. We need to put you know systems in place to meet people where they are, so that they can get to the place where only God can take them. You know, it's. Um, well, I'm going to start preaching, but yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's really good. Well, listeners, we thank you for listening to this bonus segment. And uh, again, pass this along to anybody who needs to hear it. And you throw a rock, you can hit somebody who needs to hear it. So it's not a matter of who. Just prayerfully pass this along, post it on your social media, because this needs to be heard and it needs to be talked about. And uh, you know somebody who's probably living in an uh, uh, under undercover, and they and they're not talking about it, and they're really suffering. And uh, we thank you for listening. Joshua, one more thing. Uh, your book. Just to tell our listeners about your book. Oh, so it, it, it'll, it'll be out in the fall of next year. So if I say too much, my agent will break my arm. But uh, <laughs> Fall of 23. Fall of 23. Got All right. it. Yeah, awesome. so it's, it's, a, it's around the idea. So not, uh, not definitive on uh, counterfeit culture, but my, I have a podcast called Counterfeit Culture. Um, if it's not called Counterfeit Culture, it will be around that topic. Got it. Awesome. Yep. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thank you for listening to South Central. With every step I take, I am standing